From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, the breadth of Homeland Security's mission is on full display as they respond to one of the most powerful hurricanes in history to hit Louisiana and Texas. At the same time, the agency has or is preparing to respond to the lawlessness that has enveloped cities in Oregon, Washington State, Wisconsin, and elsewhere. By the way, President Trump has announced he will visit Kenosha, Wisconsin tomorrow. Is this wave of lawlessness that is claiming more lives with each passing day being fostered by weak mayors and governors? We'll talk about it with Acting Secretary of Homeland Security Chad Wolf in just a moment. Also, I was in Lake Charles this weekend helping coordinate some of the relief efforts that are now set up and operating as the area begins what will be a long, long recovery. One of the first on the ground, as usual, was Samaritan's Purse. I was at two of their locations on Saturday as they began helping families in the area. We'll get an update on the relief effort, the private relief effort, from Luther Harrison, Samaritan's Purse Vice President of North American Ministries. And Pastor Rob McCoy, who was scheduled to be back in a California court today for holding church services, will join us with an update on the latest on the effort to keep California churches from meeting. And back on the topic of rioting, Shelby Talcott, reporter with The Daily Caller, has been on the ground at the latest riots in Kenosha. She says there is strong evidence that the riots in the various cities, including Washington, D.C., are being coordinated. She joins us later. And based on this mounting evidence of coordination and possible criminal conspiracy, several lawmakers are calling for an FBI investigation into who is funding and directing the violent and destructive riots. South Carolina Congressman Ralph Norman is here with more later on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter or Parler, it is uh, at T. Perkins. By the way, before I uh, introduce our first guest, let me first welcome new members of the Washington Watch listening audience. Starting today, Washington Watch will now air on the Christian Satellite Network Radio, bringing the total number of stations to air Washington Watch to uh, over 750 stations. A special thanks to CSN President Shannon Skolton and Director of Programming Mike Stevens. So CNS listeners, welcome to Washington Watch. And by the way, don't forget, uh, this Friday, uh, this Wednesday night, rather, 8 p.m. Eastern, Pray, Vote, Stand, special 30-minute broadcast. To find out more, go to TonyPerkins.com. All right, um, we've seen this occur over the last, really, three months. The violent demonstrations, rioting, lawlessness in the streets, which has, uh, you know, called the, the fact it's been in the cases where we've seen uh, this lawlessness brought under control. It's been really at the hands of the federal government when they've gone in under Homeland Security. But this past week, we've seen a uh, we've seen the Homeland Security operating on multiple fronts. In fact, the last uh, Thursday, as uh, this hurricane Laura, largest uh, strongest hurricane to one of the strongest to hit Louisiana and Texas. Uh, leaving a broad wake of destruction in its path. Homeland Security uh, is on the ground there through FEMA. In fact, uh, the director, acting secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf, was there Saturday with the president, and he joins us now to talk about the federal relief response. Uh, Secretary, welcome back to Washington Watch. Well, thank you for having me, Tony. Let's start first with the response to uh, Hurricane Laura. Then we'll get to the other responsibilities uh, of what's happening across the country with the various lawlessness, rioting, looting, that, looting that's taking place. Let's start with Hurricane Laura. You were on the ground there. Your thoughts of uh, the significance of the damage from the storm. I appreciate that. I, I did get the chance to uh, visit Louisiana and Texas along with President Trump over the weekend. And what I can tell you is, Particularly, the the people of Louisiana are, are facing a difficult time right now. But what we know is they're they're a strong group, they're a resilient group of individuals, and they know that FEMA's on the ground, this administration's on the ground, uh, working for them and getting them the resources that they need to to respond. So obviously, the brunt of it uh, came through the Lake Charles area and then north through the state. And so the primary concerns at the moment are power and water and making sure that we get both of those turned on as quickly as possible, working with our private sector partners um, 
to get uh, to, to do just that. So we've got over about 23,000 different uh, utility workers from across the country as well as Canada in the state working to restore power. But again, what I saw there was you just have, you know, multiple uh, electricity poles uh, and the light just snapped in half. Uh, you have a lot of roofs off of houses. Um, and so we're trying to make sure that we get uh, individuals there the assistance they need. Uh, there's a number of individuals that are in shelters, and mainly when I say shelters, hospitals in a COVID-like environment versus a congregate shelter like a gymnasium. So making sure that we're also looking after their their health and well-being from a COVID perspective. But uh, you know what I heard uh, when we sat down with local officials, both in Louisiana and Texas, was just great praise uh, for the response of FEMA, pre-deploying people, assets, commodities. And then the strong and quick response of President Trump in uh, signing out disaster declarations so that uh, we can get folks the assistance they need. Well, let me give you my perspective, uh, Secretary Wolf, as I was there and I've been pretty much involved in every hurricane since Katrina in terms of the response here in Louisiana. I was there uh, on the ground working with some of the local sheriffs as well as uh, Samaritan's Person. We're going to talk about that in a moment. That's where I wanted to focus on is the difference I've seen in the partnership between FEMA and non-governmental agencies, organizations that are geared up, ready to go and move in and help people, especially in these initial uh, days and weeks after these. So I, I want to commend the agency, and this is this is throughout the Trump administration, what I've seen is more of a willingness to work with faith-based partners and others to meet the needs of the people. I think that's right, and I think that's not only just within FEMA, uh, but it's really across the Homeland Security enterprise. I talk about it uh, any chance that I get that, you know, securing the homeland, and, and when I say that, that's across many different missions to include what FEMA does for not only uh, man-made disasters, but of course natural disasters. But uh, we cannot do that without the private sector and the partnerships that we build, not only with faith-based groups, uh, but with other private sector partners. So. Uh, it's absolutely a, a priority that I have here at the department uh, that our senior leadership has to include FEMA senior leadership, making sure that we partner uh, with our private sector um, stakeholders to make sure that we can deliver, uh, in this case, the resources that the people of Louisiana and Texas need. Uh, much, much better over what I've seen in the past. And, and, and trust me, if, if, if there's a problem, I will let you know. I'll give you a call. But let me just say that it's, it's working quite well, and so I, I appreciate that. Let's transition, uh, Mr. Secretary, to the issue of the riots. You made the comment over the weekend that what has fostered this lawlessness is that you have these weak leaders who are unwilling to uphold the law and hold these criminals accountable. I think that's exactly right. I think uh, you see it in a number of major metropolitan cities around the country. Uh, they have fostered this environment where it is okay to do these criminal acts. It's okay to harass individuals, uh, you know, in, in the case of coming out of the White House uh, from an, an event. It's okay to scream and yell at them, maybe even assault them, um, that they've created this environment that it's okay to do it. And it's just, it's not acceptable. And the president's been very uh, explicit about that, and I will continue to talk about it. But I think I, I really what I find interesting is, is if you go back 30 to 45 days, I think the vast majority of these officials, uh, first they denied that uh, there was any violence going on at all. It was mainly, if you recall, Tony, peaceful protesting. Uh, then they tried to blame the Department of Homeland Security, particularly in Portland, for causing the violence. And now you see uh, them trying to blame President Trump uh, for causing this violence. So it's come almost 360 degrees uh, on trying to find a cause from this. And I think most reasonable Americans understand what's going on out there, that if you have an environment and you have officials that demonize law enforcement, that attack law enforcement, that allow rioting in the streets, um, and they're not taking decisive action, that's what breeds this lawlessness that we are seeing uh, and that we're trying to address. You know, I, I agree with you, Mr. Secretary. In fact, I... I had said this before. I think that had the mayor of Minneapolis uh, not given a green flag or green light to the uh, rioters. I mean, I understand peaceful protest. I'm all for that. I, I, I support that. We'll defend it. But when he basically gave a green light to what became lawlessness and rioting, had he nipped it in the bud 
back then, I don't think it would have spread to the degree it has around the country. Well, you're absolutely right. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. And um, I, let's just take, again, Portland as an example of that. You're almost three months in, a little over three months, and, the, and that violence continues night after night after night. And it's because uh, not only from the, the mayor, uh, but also the district attorney there has, has put out a press release and says, these are the crimes I'm not going to prosecute you for. Um, and one of those has, happens to be if you interfere with a police officer or you criminally trespass or you do a number of other things, he has, he has told individuals, I will not prosecute you. So again, what does that mean? That's an open invitation to continue this lawlessness uh, that we've seen in Portland for over 90 days. So, uh, Mr. Secretary, citizens in these communities and elsewhere, because you can't contain this. I mean, it's on the news. People see it. They live in a Democratic-led city, and they're afraid that the riots are going to move to their community. I mean, I've, I, I spent the weekend with law enforcement from across Louisiana, the sheriffs, and, and they're watching this very, very carefully, trying to keep this contained, uh, lest it spread like, uh, you know, like a, a wildfire. But w- citizens who feel afraid that, they, that, that they're going to have to defend themselves because their elected officials won't, at, at what point is the federal government I mean, what are you what are you planning on doing at this point for those citizens who feel threatened and have local leaders that won't protect them? Well, I think we're doing a number of things. Uh, One is we're making sure that we hold those uh, individuals that are uh, perpetrating these crimes accountable. So, again, we have uh, the Department of Justice uh, from a federal perspective have arrested over 300 across the country taking place in these violent riots and and looting uh, exercises. 76 of those are in Portland. So we're trying to hold individuals accountable. We're trying to talk more publicly about that because obviously that's part of the deterrent. And it shows that if you're going to partake in a violent riot, you're going to loot, you're, there's going to be consequences associated with mm-hmm. that. And I think that's an important point uh, to get out there. We're also looking at ways that we're able to surge into certain uh, metropolitan cities that we know perhaps that might have this violence. And again, we're in close coordination, not only with the, the mayors and local officials in those cities, but also with the governors. So we're gonna make sure that we're able to do that in, in Kenosha uh, and elsewhere. So we wanna be able to do that very, very quickly. So I think you're gonna, we, we continue to have discussions of, on how do we pre-deploy and enable to surge into certain cities and locations quickly if it becomes out of control. But at the end of the day, and I keep saying this, uh, it's uh, the you know protection of individual communities are first up to the local officials and law enforcement, and then to state and local law enforcement, and then the federal government will come in uh, if we need to. And, and you're standing by offering that help if they want it. They call on it, and uh, you right. will be there to assist. Uh, Secretary uh, Chad Wolf, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. As always, great to talk with you. Thank you. All right, folks, uh, don't go away. We're going to be talking more about this as evidence begins to mount that these violent protests are coordinated. Who's behind it? We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But coming up next, Luther Harrison is going to be joining us to talk about the the private relief efforts. Samaritan's Purse on the ground already, along with others uh, there in Lake Charles, Texas and elsewhere, helping meet the needs of citizens in the wake of uh, yet another natural disaster. Don't go away. We're back with more Washington Watch after this. Do Christians have a biblical obligation to participate in government? Do Christians have a duty to vote? And if so, what principles should inform them while casting their ballots? How should pastors think about politics, and how can they shepherd their congregations well during an election season? The gospel of Jesus Christ has implications for all areas of our life, including politics. Christians must be prepared to grapple with the moral issues of our day, the reality of our two-party system, and follow our Christian convictions to their logical end by voting for candidates that support clear biblical values. Family Research Council has partnered with 21 state family policy councils for a new edition of Biblical Principles for Political Engagement. This booklet provides biblical wisdom and clear answers to pivotal questions to help you navigate the political landscape. This publication exists to facilitate careful thinking about issues and encourage God-honoring political engagement that filters all issues and candidates through a biblical worldview. To read the full publication, visit frc.org engage. 
Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible, and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So glad to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, as we were just talking about with uh, Homeland Security Secretary uh, Chad Wolf, one of the uh, most uh, powerful hurricanes, uh, one of the most um, in history to hit Louisiana and uh, Texas, has left a lot of damage in its wake. I was there over the weekend. Uh, just, it, it's, it's just hard. I mean, the pictures don't do justice when you see those on TV to see just how trees snapped over, power lines, uh, the the big uh, display boards along the interstate, the houses just blown apart by the power of the wind. And this is, as we were talking about with Secretary Wolf, one of the things I like about this administration, among many, but what I've seen over the last 15 years as I've been involved in these relief efforts is this administration works very closely with um, non-governmental organizations. And one of the best I have found working on the grounds, and there are many, I don't want to take away from the others, but one of the best in my view, and one that I personally support, our family supports, and our ministry, by the way, supports as well, is Samaritan's Purse. Uh, they are quickly on the ground stage to move in as soon as they can to begin uh, meeting uh, the needs of the local community. And joining me now to uh, to talk more about what is happening in Louisiana and Texas is Luther Harrison. He is the vice president of North American Ministries for Samaritan's Purse. Luther, welcome back to Washington Watch. Well, Tony, thank you for having us, and uh, just thank you for all you have done for us over the past couple of days. And as a Louisianan, you have been a tremendous uh, asset and a blessing to us. Well, uh, thank you. It's it's uh, I'm honored to be able to partner with you guys because you're, as I said, first on the ground meeting the needs. Let's first talk about um, what's the role, what role Samaritan's Purse plays. I mean, many, you know, one body, many members, but you play a very strategic role. I- explain to our listeners what you're doing in Louisiana and Texas. Well, Tony, our uh, staff uh, pre-positioned before this storm in our uh, warehouse we have uh, in the Dallas, Texas area, and we're able to get into the area on Friday immediately into Louisiana. And just, um, you know, Louisiana has been picked on by storms for the last several years, and we've had, uh, I think, over 15 deployments into Louisiana since 2002. But uh, even after Katrina, this, uh, to me, uh, everyone is describing this as uh, like a Katrina event. So our teams have already uh, set up, and uh, we're set up in three different uh, locations in Louisiana, Lake Charles, DeRitter, and Jennings. 
and our staff are there. We've got our key leadership volunteers there, and basically we're having to build our uh, camps and get up and running while volunteers are on their way in because, as you know, the infrastructure is completely decimated. Uh, water, sewer, electrical grids are out, and uh, we're, uh, we're trying to be self-contained, and um, as you've seen over the weekend, you see how God has delivered every resource we need, the fuel, the uh, National Guard bringing us water buffaloes with potable water for us. We're bringing generators in and uh, getting these buildings that we're able to use powered up. So with that, we're going to go out and minister to families. We've already had over 300 families have reached out to us and asked for assistance. But what we'll do is, whether it's tarping a roof, uh, helping them uh, cut trees and different things in these areas, uh, we just want to go out and meet their physical needs and through that show them that God loves them and has not forgotten them. And Luther, Luther Harrison, the, the work of Samaritan's Purse runs parallel with the work of Billy Graham Ministries. So as people come in to um, seek help, in, and there's a lot of trees down, so there's a lot of chainsaw work to be done, a lot of roofs to be repaired, You, in these times of crisis, you have counselors that work with them as well. Correct. Uh, I also have the privilege of working with our Billy Graham Evangelistic Association Chaplains Program and our Rapid Response Team Chaplains. They go hand-in-hand with us, and uh, together we want to meet the physical, spiritual, and emotional needs these families have. And a lot of them were in crisis before the storm and different things, and this is just uh, adds another layer and a uh, some of them even a trigger of things that has happened in the past. So we want to go alongside of them and reassure them and comfort them and uh, just to show them that God's Word is He's going to be with them. He is not going to leave them or forsake them. So, Luther, how can folks, I mean, obviously people in Louisiana are can volunteer, but people elsewhere, I mean, you can take uh, donations from a t- standpoint of uh, monetary donations, but also people can uh, partner with you and come into these areas that are hit and, and volunteer to help. Correct. And uh, as you see, Tony, I appreciate you having us on because as the media is turning their attention quickly back to the political issues, you know, we need to get the word out. This is going to be a long uh, an event. Families are going to need a lot of help, a lot of devastation, a lot of damage, and uh, we need to get the volunteers out. We need finances that allow us to do this, but we need people that are willing and able to uh, be the hands and feet of Christ. And they can go to our website at SamaritansPurse.org. And it gives you, uh, you can sign up and it shows you the locations we're serving in and how you can volunteer. And we have volunteer coordinators that will help make this a, a easy transition and help them get involved. Because uh, one of the things that we always do, Tony, we go in, we partner with the local churches. One day we're going to leave town and we want those local churches to be there and uh, be that source of help and source of hope that Christ sent uh, his people to represent him. Now, uh, Luther, I'm not an expert on this, although I'm getting a lot more experience than I ever wanted to have on that. You've, you've got a lot of experience on these, sir. <laughs> but this looks like you guys are going to be there for a while. Yes, sir. It's got that appearance to it and just the uh, amount of devastation. Again, when we were setting up in Jennings, we were uh, hoping to find that as a location where we were close enough to work. And when those pastors and the local residents started uh, asking for help, uh, you can't just use that as a bedroom community. It's like, okay, we're going to r- reach out and minister here in your needs. So we all love it how God expands our territory. He just uh, increases us uh, and allows us to do more. And that's what we want to do. And we want to do it uh, safely. Uh, There's a lot of heavy uh, trees that need to be cut, and we're getting equipment in that will help do that, skid steers with grapples and different things that can help move this uh, debris to the curb. But now a lot of the homeowners are coming back in, and it's going to be, uh, like they'll find out, very primitive. Right, right, for a while, no power. And and there's room for everybody. You don't have to be be a lumberjack. Uh, You can do anything. You'll take anybody. Everything from uh, assessing projects, the meeting with families, and uh, just, uh, you know, offering them hope and reassurance. Yes, absolutely. Well, Luther Harrison, as always, great to talk with you. Thank you again uh, for the great work that Samaritan's Purse does. Well, Tony, thank you, and God bless you, sir. All right, we'll be in touch. Folks, you can, uh, you can partner with them, and I highly recommend it. They are very, very efficient, and they use the resources very wisely. And if it, it's a great experience if you volunteer uh, to join them. It's, it's all mapped out for you. You won't waste any time. So uh, check it out. Go to TonyPerkins.com. Don't go away. We're back after this. 
Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, i definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has released a new three-part series titled Three Ways to Read the Bible. In this series, Patrina Mosley, FRC's Director of Life, Culture, and Women's Advocacy, shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth through studying and applying the Bible's text. Now's the time to get to know God through His Word by looking into the Bible and learning what it says about God, humanity, and the power of Scripture. During this season of isolation, devote time to the Lord and seek out His meaning for you. In times of crisis and any time, this blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to Him through His Word. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but your heart. To learn more, visit frcblog.com. That's frcblog.com. Welcome back. To Washington Watch, I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So glad to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. It was interesting uh, when I was in Lake Charles this weekend that I, I don't recall ever seeing a, a mask. Um, you know, people were too busy dealing with other things. My prediction is that the day after the election, this whole thing with the coronavirus will go away. Uh, it'll still be a thing. No, I mean, it's it's real. As I've told you before, I've had it. It's it's real. I know people who've had it. I know people have 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 died from complications related to it. But I'm just saying it's been made into a much bigger issue than it really is. And it's being used in part in some states to restrict churches from meeting. Like in California, we've talked about it. And uh, following up now to Pastor Rob McCoy of Godspeak Calvary Chapel Church, he was scheduled to be in court today uh, because his church has continued to meet, despite the fact that the governor, Gavin Newsom, has said churches can only have 100 people, uh, no more, regardless of their size. Well, joining us now with an update on his situation is Pastor Rob McCoy. Pastor, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks, Tony. It's good to be with you, and thank you for uh, just keeping this in, in focus for everybody. Um, we we have our, our court, date, court date rescheduled for the end of September, which is kind of a blessing because we're bringing in um, expert witnesses, uh, some of the frontline doctors. We're also bringing in some psychologists, and we have folks volunteering from across the country to help us with this case. It'll be the first chance for us to kind of go before a judge and, and point out that you know, you have a one one hundredth of one percent chance of dying of COVID, but they're destroying our churches and destroying our economy and our families. And I, I don't know if you you saw, but but California, the governor had six boxes that you had to fulfill, and our county had fulfilled all of them basically. And then he moves the goalposts and comes out with uh, a new uh, guidance, and he places us into four categories: uh, purple, red, orange, and yellow. Yellow being minimal. Uh, uh, purple being widespread, and and they place Ventura County in widespread, even though we fulfilled all six boxes. So they've changed the goalpost. No churches are allowed to meet indoors, and even when you get to the minimal, the yellow, you're still at 50% capacity for your congregation. And there's only one county in California to consider worthy of that. It, it is an absolute gimmick. Yeah, that's uh, you're, you're right because I actually I had it wrong there that you're not even allowed to have a hundred because you're right they keep changing the criteria. 
and the it's it's fluid. I mean, it it every county is treated differently. I think the fifty eight counties, each of them, are treated differently. But it, let me just ask you this, uh, Pastor Rob, because it, it looks like from your previous court hearing that the, the judge may be sympathetic. Is that why you've gotten a delay in this case? Exactly. Um, the, the, the judge had to rule based on the previous judge's uh, emergency uh, TRO, temporary restraining order. And, and he, the, pre, the first judge was political and predictable. We knew what was going to happen, and he'd been handpicked for that. The second judge was reasonable, and he still gave us violation and held us, uh, held us in contempt. And instead of honoring them with a $1,000 per issue fine, he did $500, which worked out to a $3,000 fine. And we've still been in violation of the temporary restraining order, but the health officers haven't been coming to observe us and do their 61-page report of our violations. They've just been absent. Nobody's been here on Sundays. We've been wide open. And I wish other churches would follow the same in California because when you push back, the lion has no teeth. And and right. uh, and, and even the, the sheriffs in our county will not enforce this. They're just waiting for churches to stand. And, yeah. and, and citizens are waiting for churches to stand. You know, it was different in, in, May, in March, April, when we didn't know anything about this exactly, virus. Yeah. And, and so we all kind of voluntarily complied, said, okay, well, it's reasonable. But now the, the, we pulled back the curtain. We, we know what's going on here. This is politically motivated. And as you have pointed out, the consequences of churches not meeting far exceed the effects, the potential effects of the meeting and potentially spreading the virus because it's not happening. But what is happening is you have suicide rates increasing, drug addiction increasing. You have communities in flames around the country. Yep. Because churches, their doors are shut. And, and, and churches are closing. Uh, we, we've had two very strong churches in our county that have not survived this, and they tried to play by the rules. And people just after a while, I, I, they don't want to do church via live stream. They, they just don't want to do it. It's like watching a fireplace on your computer. There's no right. warmth. And and then the other thing that's that's fascinating to me is when you, when you saw the CDC this week come out and say, Six percent of all the deaths in America attributed to COVID were people who died from COVID. The rest were people who died with COVID. And the same is true in our county. And we brought that yes. out in a court case. We said 102 cases, uh, 102 deaths attributed to COVID, but only two of them died from COVID. We had an overdose uh, uh, victim who died and, and he had COVID, so they counted as a COVID death. We had a car accident victim. He had COVID. They counted as a COVID death. That's... That's how bad it is. Right. Well, and the only way it is exposed, as you said, is when we stand up and push back and we find out that that's a paper tiger. They're not they, they don't have anything to stand on to enforce this. They just have to be called out for it. They've crossed the line. It is time for pastors. It is time for locally elected officials to stand up to this tyranny yep. as well. Pastor McCoy, thanks so much for joining us. And again, thank you for taking a stand. Thank you, Tony. Bless you. All right. Pastor Rob McCoy of Godspeed Calvary Chapel Church in Thousand Oaks, Thousand Oaks, California. All right. When we come back, we're going to turn our attention back to the rioting. How can you miss it? Uh, the president's going to Kenosha tomorrow. We want to talk about the coordination. Is there coordination between these cities where this rioting is taking place? The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increased pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org sexuality. Again, that's frc.org sexuality. 
In today's culture, it can be difficult for men to navigate what it means to be a man and to find clear models of masculinity and manhood. There are many competing ideas out there and even confusion around the basic concepts of gender and sex. Where can boys, young men, husbands, and fathers find a model of manhood, leadership, and strength in today's culture of confusion? This is Tony Perkins inviting you to join me at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference led by men who are seasoned, compassionate leaders who understand the issues of the day. These issues will invest in unpacking our role as defenders, providers, instructors, and battle buddies so that men can have generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Join us at one of our upcoming events in Texas, Louisiana, Florida, or Virginia. Learn more about Stand Courageous and find an event near you at StandCourageous.com. That's StandCourageous.com. StandCourageous.com. With horrifying acceleration in recent years, verified reports of murders, rapes, mutilations, and kidnapping of Christians in Nigeria have persistently increased. These attacks are frequently accompanied by the torching of homes, churches, villages, and agricultural fields. A July 15, 2020 headline reports that over 1,000 Nigerian Christians were killed in the first six months of 2020. This is in addition to 11,000 Christians who have been killed since June 2015. News stories about the assaults in Nigeria are rarely reported in mainstream media outlets. But when they are, they're regularly explained away as effects of climate change, local feuds, or religious wars for which both sides bear equal responsibility. For more information about the persecution of Christians in Nigeria, read FRC's publication, The Crisis of Christian Persecution in Nigeria, at frc.org slash Nigeria. Welcome back. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. Glad to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Again, let me remind you, coming up Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, Pray, Vote, Stand. It's uh, second, the second week of a 10-week, well, 10 weeks of episodes, I guess I would say, of Pray, Vote, Stand. We've got some special guests coming up again this Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern. To find out more, go to PrayVoteStand.org. All right, for the last four days, we've actually had riots in Washington, D.C. again, kind of being eclipsed by what's happening in Kenosha and elsewhere. But these riots, Portland, Seattle, you know, they continue. I mean, we're three months into this. So what is, uh, what, how, how are they being maintained? How are these people continuing to do this? And there appears to be some very strong commonalities in the various cities where these riots are taking place. Is... Is there an entity behind it? Is there someone funding it? Joining me now to talk more about this is a Daily Caller reporter, Shelby Talcott. Shelby, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me. Now, Shelby, you've been in probably most of these cities, half a dozen cities. I saw you, you, you were actually, you saw some of the things happening in Washington, D.C. So is there evidence to suggest that there's coordination behind these different cities and the riots that are taking place there? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, actually, and one that a lot of people have been asking, because um, particularly if you go to some of these cities, like take Portland, for example, um, they have been doing this for months on end, and uh, they're very coordinated. If you go out there on the ground, they all have shields, they all have gas masks, They have sort of um, uh, formations that they do to combat crowd control munitions being fired by police officers. Uh, So it it definitely does beg the question, you know, this is far more organized often than I think people realize. So, Shelby, you say they have shields. I mean, it's just like not like a lid of a garbage can. I mean, these are like real implements that they have. Yeah, it, it'll start out typically with um, people. some people will bring umbrellas. Uh, we saw that in Kenosha even on, you know, day two of the riding there. Uh, and then other people will actually sort of do makeshift shields, but they've become more and more legitimate. For example, in Portland, we see a lot of these are, you know, hard wooden shields that have been made and, and by somebody, I'm not sure who, but um, it's 
they're becoming more coordinated, more organized in some of these cities, particularly where the riots and protests have been ongoing for months. Now, do you see some of the same people that are moving from location to location? Absolutely. And it's funny you ask that, actually, because um, just last night in D.C., one of the organizers of a march asked how many people were from out of town. And there were a lot of people who answered that question. And we overheard people talking, saying they were from Seattle and uh, from Portland. And so we actually saw it it appeared to be the same um, Black Lives Matter van that had been in Portland just a few weeks earlier. Um, so for sure, there are people traveling for these for these riots and protests. So has there been any evidence surfaced that they're being compensated for their uh, trouble, if you will, to travel from city to city to uh, to, to to loot and to, uh, to to protest? I'm not sure that that's another good question. I think that there's um, you know, it's interesting because it, you see these people, they're A, traveling, right? Who's Are they paying for to travel to do this? Um, is somebody else paying for it? I'm not sure. But then they arrive here, you know, where are they staying? What are, um, how are they getting, for example, these fireworks that we see all the time going off uh, night after night? Um, so it, those are really good questions. And I think that we have a lot to learn about um, how these riots and these protests are being organized and coordinated. Now, Shelby, as, as I mentioned uh, in the introduction, you've been in uh, at least a half a dozen cities covering these riots. What, what have you seen um, take place at these riots? Uh, so we've seen a lot of um, property destruction uh, in D.C. when the riots first started. Uh, they pretty much went around the city and, and broke into things, started small fires. Um, obviously, in Kenosha, the fire aspect of it was much bigger than a lot of the other places we've seen, probably second only to Minneapolis. Um, entire buildings were burned to the ground in Kenosha that week. Uh, and uh, we've seen, you know, uh, they harassed police. They'll throw firecrackers at them. They launched crowd control munitions back at police officers. Um, so it's really sort of these mini war zones that are just erupting all over the country. Yeah, and I and I saw that uh, even there in uh, D.C. In, in D.C. last night, where they were throwing things at the police officer, they, they seem to do these. I mean, that's that's criminal behavior to throw an object that could hurt someone, but they seem to do it with no hesitancy. It's it's almost like they feel entitled to now. Uh, throw things, yell at, abuse um, police officers. Yeah, it's interesting because pretty much at at almost all of these riots, you do see people who are urging the crowd not to do that. So even last night, we saw one of the um, BLM organizers of the march uh, get on her loudspeaker and say, listen, I don't feel like getting tear gas tonight. Stop throwing things at police officers. Um, But there are more people there who are okay with doing that. And so it pretty much always ends up falling on deaf ears. Um, and they, yeah, they really don't hesitate to throw water bottles. We've seen, we've seen bricks thrown in Kenosha, uh, glass bottles, firecrackers will be launched at officers. Um, so it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. So what do you anticipate with the president going to Kenosha tomorrow? I think that, um, it, it it could cause some protests and potential riots. We'll have to see, of course. I think that the um, additional shootings that happened Tuesday evening have sort of uh, were, prevented more destruction almost because, you know, that's, that's when things get real and people really realize just how dangerous these situations on the ground are, right? Um, yeah. We saw it in Seattle as well. Chaz was was up and running and then there were multiple shootings and people realized, you know, this isn't, uh, this is, these are not safe situations. And police officers in Kenosha were unable to really adequately respond. And, and, you know, you had people who shouldn't have been there probably with their weapons and things got out of hand and it can get out of hand in the blink of an eye. 
Yeah, it absolutely can. Shelby Talcott, thanks so much. Um, we'll check back with you because I hope to uh, to f- see if we can find out more answers to some of those questions. Thank you. All right. Uh, you know, there is more and more evidence that is uh, coming to the surface that would suggest, it's not ironclad yet, but would suggest that there is this connection we're talking about between these riots. And now members of Congress are saying, hey, it's time for the FBI to investigate. Because if there is, if, if people are paying people to protest and to break the law, that's a criminal conspiracy and something that the federal government should step into. Joining me now to talk more about this call for the FBI to look into it is Ralph Norman, congressman from South Carolina. He represents the 5th Congressional District. Uh, congressman, welcome back to Washington Watch. Glad to be back, Tony. So you are among those that say, look, something does not look right here. This looks like a coordinated effort, and we need to get to the bottom of it. Exactly. And, uh, Tony, I'll give you an example as to why I feel that way. Uh, My wife went to to hear the president's speech. She got on uh, an airplane in Charlotte, North Carolina. On that plane were maybe 30 to 40 uh passengers had the same Black Lives Matter shirt, had the same knapsack on their back, uh, went to all of them were going to Washington. They when they got there she noticed three vans that uh they all got up, got on and I assume went to to um, you know, to downtown to hear the presidents talk. That doesn't just happen by chance to wear the same shirt, same knapsack on their back. And uh, to, to see what's happening with foghorns, jackhammers, somebody's paying for this. And we've got to get to the bottom of it because look at the destruction that that's happening all over this country. And, you know, the the thought that this is just by happenstance, right. it, it doesn't doesn't make sense. And, you know, protest, it's one thing, but when it crosses over into illegal behavior, like last night, rioting in D.C., they had to use uh, crowd dispersion, that's where this could potentially be a criminal conspiracy. If someone uh, on the left, uh, you know, obviously it's on the left, that is funding this to disrupt, whether it's, you know, just to create chaos, uh, lives have now been lost, this is something the FBI should look into what what response have you gotten to your request well we really have a jet uh, we've sent letters i have along with uh, jody heiss and, um, and and others saying you know asking for explanations on on the very things you and i are talking about and to ask the questions why uh, as an example, in Austin, Texas, are you cutting the police department by the $150 million? Why in Portland, Oregon, uh, when it's been for the last 90 days total destruction, uh, you eliminate 80-some positions and $15 million from the budget? It doesn't make sense. And I'll never forget I was on the board. I went with a group uh, that Congressman Biggs led and Louis Gohmert led probably two years ago. I asked the border agents. I said, these caravans, uh, these masses of people, how, who's paying for the travel? Who's paying for the food? Who's paying for water, for supplies? And uh, he said, it, there's an element out there that's doing this. That doesn't just happen by happenstance, like what's happened uh, in Washington and all over the country cannot be by happenstance. Yeah, I, I don't think people are going to, I mean, they can't afford to, I would think. Uh, to, to, to spend, you know, three months rioting, uh, go across the country and take it on the road. Uh, as you said, uh, we were just talking about it a few moments ago with uh, Shelby Talcott with Daily Caller, who's been in, on the ground at least six of these cities, that the, the, the commonalities, as you talked about the, 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 the apparel, she's talking about the tactics that they use to counter the police and the equipment that they are using to do so. It would suggest training organization, which means someone is bankrolling it. Well, and, and talking to some of the police agents, uh, the pallets of brick that were brought in, the pallets of frozen water bottles, uh, the rocks, 
I mean, that doesn't just – you just can't get uh, – you, you can't – that can't happen again just by, by uh, you know, random luck of the draw. Somebody's putting them there that they have strategic positions that they put it. And, um, uh, you know, it's, a, uh, it's something we need to get to the bottom of and look at the damage that they're doing. I think that it's probably when you see no Democrat who came out to condemn it, they are now because I think the poll numbers are going down. And uh, when you have people that cannot even walk to hear a point of view, be it Republican or be it Democrat, when you get accosted like my wife did, like Jim Jordan did, like, uh, uh, you know, so many of the other people that had to be whisked away, it's just, uh, you know, the Rand Pauls of the world, that, that happened at, at, at when the, after the president spoke to, I know, 20 to 30 people. Yeah. It's a crying, crying shame. Yeah. Congressman Ralph Norman, as always, great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you, Tony. All right. It's Congressman Ralph Norman of uh, South Carolina represents the 5th Congressional District. This is um, we, we've talked about. It. In fact, we uh, had a, a special on with Larry Taunton talking about the, the Marxist tactics. Look, there was a legitimate reason to to have some protest. You know, George Floyd, that unacceptable what happened there in Minneapolis. And so when those things happen, we have a right, in fact, a constitutional right to peacefully assemble and seek the redress of grievances. But what we don't have the right to do is break the law to loot, destroy other people's property. And that's what's happening. It's all designed to destable our republic. And it's designed to try to bring down the Trump administration and affect the outcome of the election. That's not how we do elections in America. We go to the ballot box, we cast a ballot, we choose our leaders. We don't burn and loot and kill. That's what third world countries do. That's not what we do in America. And so I do think it's incumbent upon uh, our officials to aggressively protect the rights of people to dissent peacefully. But it is also incumbent upon them to pursue the lawless and uphold the law and protect the innocent citizens who are being affected by this, the business owners, the neighborhoods, those whose livelihoods are being destroyed. And I would venture to say that there is a criminal conspiracy here that we will find if you follow the money trail. This is not, as, uh, as the congressman said, it didn't just happen. It wasn't organic. They saw the opportunity, and they seized it. All right, folks, out of time for today. Thanks so much for joining us. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you could do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.